Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you could all join us today. I'm also so glad to have the guest that we do because I think she's going to be able to give us some very interesting and thought-provoking insights into something that we've touched on but not really um, dug too deeply into, and that is some corporate sustainability trends. Every so often on Go Green Radio, we have someone from an exemplary company who's really doing a lot with sustainability. We've had um, a People from the global systems at PepsiCo talking about some of their zero water impact plants. We've had global supply chain folks from Safeway grocery stores talking about some of the things that they're doing to make their supply chain more sustainable. And we might get the impression sometimes that these are sort of the exceptions rather than the rules. And so today we're going to be talking with the CEO of a, of a, an organization called Brighter Planet. Her name is Patty Prairie. And we're going to be talking about not just some of the shining examples, but trends across corporate America in general and things that we should be watching for as companies dig a little bit deeper into this issue of sustainability. Well, welcome to Go Green Radio, Patty. We're so glad to have you. Well, thank you. Before we dig into these trends in corporate sustainability that you're predicting for 2012, I'd like to give you a chance to tell our listeners about your organization, Brighter Planet, talk about some of the services that you provide, and maybe give us some insights as to the type of clients with whom you all are working. Brighter Planet is a sustainability analytics company. What that means is we use hard numbers and raw data to reveal actionable sustainability opportunities for our clients. Some of them may be the shiny type clients that you talked about, Jill, and some of them may be ones that are more at a, a starting point. And we got our start in a Middlebury College classroom in 2005. We were a college project, and we're now on the front lines of corporate sustainability. But throughout, our goal as a social enterprise is to accelerate the transition to a clean energy future. As to the types of companies that we work with, which was one part of your question, we work with companies that sit on huge amounts of data and want to build sustainability and intelligence into their customer offerings. Examples range from we work with MasterCard to help companies manage their environmental footprints based upon what they're spending on their corporate cards to encouraging online travel aggregators like Kayak to include carbon emissions right up front with the prices, the routes, and the seat choices when you're deciding which flight to take, or to developing web apps like Hootroop 
that help you develop efficiently, navigate efficiently from point A to point B, and we and we provide directions and carbon footprints for driving or buses or biking or flights uh, on any route. And we just won an award from the EPA for Hoot Route. We've also recently been recognized as Discovery Channel's Tree Hugger as the best small business and by the Financial Times with a Social Innovation Award. It makes me and our team very proud. You can see more of what we're up to by looking at our brighterplanet.com. Well, that's very exciting, and congratulations. You said that you started in a classroom. Yes. Uh, tell us just a little bit more about that, because uh, you left me hanging there, and I'm very interested as to how that all panned out. What, what was the genesis of Brighter Planet? Uh, Professor John Isham has an environmental economics class that he had in uh, the spring of 2005, and one of the class projects was to figure out how to put um, environmental tools at uh, you know into everyday lives, and so the thought was if they could do something with a credit card in terms of rewards. So instead of getting more frequent flyer miles, to somehow do something that would help clean up the environment, and that was the class project. So our founders of the project, and John is still on our board of directors, Andy Rasmussen one of the founders of the project, and Robbie Adler was also in the class, although he wasn't fortunate enough to be in that particular breakout, but uh-huh. they're still with us today and, um, and are leading the charge in what we're doing now with corporations. So innovative. I love that. That's a great story. You know, I remember when the recession first hit in 2008, and a lot of folks who I would consider maybe green skeptics who looked at this whole green thing as maybe a a trend or a fad, particularly in corporate America, they were telling us that corporate sustainability efforts would go by the wayside because companies were going to have to turn their entire focus just to surviving the tough economy. And yet, You've released, Brighter Planet has released a recent study called Green in the Workplace 2011, and that study demonstrates that the opposite is true. And I'd love for you to talk to us about some of the findings regarding increased emphasis, not decreased emphasis, but rather the increased emphasis on corporate sustainability measures even in tough economic times. Well, we wondered when the recession struck, too, whether um, those green skeptics would turn out to be true. But sitting here now four years later, Thankfully, that hasn't come to pass. And in fact, you know how it goes when sometimes opportunities come out of adversity? Many businesses have actually accelerated their corporate sustainability efforts. And the reason for that is that economic and environmental sustainability go hand in hand. They're not polar opposites. The conventional wisdom that going green hurts the bottom line just doesn't hold water. We at Brighter Planet do extensive research in this field, as well as staying on top of research by others. And what we're finding might actually surprise some of your listeners. Corporations today are disclosing more about their environmental impact. They're investing more to reduce their impact. And they're even creating greener products now. As I was preparing for this call, I pulled out two recent studies that confirm this trend. The MIT Sloan Management School of Management found that 70% of Fortune 1,000 companies expected to increase their investment in and management of sustainability over the next year, and more than a quarter of the global 500 are now developing products and services that allow customers to cut emissions. From my standpoint, I've always found that it helps to understand what motivates companies to act. And when it comes to sustainability, it's not just one thing. It's many drivers. 
and the Carbon Disclosure Project is a leading third party that monitors corporate sustainability efforts, and it reported recently that brand risk management and compliance were the top three impetuses to corporations developing climate strategies. Next on the list was product differentiation, cost reduction, and efficiency. So as you can see, it's many factors. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm wondering why some companies just seem to get that and really be successful with their sustainability programs, focusing on uh, those items that you just mentioned and the variety of, of those items that you just mentioned, and why some other companies just seem to lag behind. What are some of the common components, not just of you know those reasons to go green, but of the company culture itself that you have found among successful sustainability initiatives? It takes leadership, and it even can require a bit of a leap of faith. If executives wait for some rock-solid evidence, they may get left behind. But what we found is that businesses can do well financially, winning customers and saving energy costs at the same time that they're doing good for the environment. From my perspective, there's four key components to a successful sustainability program. First is to establish a baseline. So before doing anything ambitious, companies need to get a handle on where they stand. It's not so easy, but it is important. Mm -hmm. Second is to think of sustainability more broadly. It's not an isolated activity. Every employee, every department, customer, and supplier has a role to play, and that could be with executives establishing goals or product managers identifying greener inputs or customers making better decisions because of product labeling. The third factor uh, component is to quantify, and you know that old adage, you can't manage what you can't measure. That's right. We found that organizations that collect data on their carbon footprint were three times as likely to have a very effective program. That's a meaningful cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And lastly, communications is critical, making sure that sustainability is part of the company's dialogue, both internally and externally. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned your very first component of the four that you mentioned, taking baseline data. And I've talked with companies, especially some of the large companies with complicated business structures and various uh, business units, and sometimes they get very, very overwhelmed at that very first step. What do we take baseline data for? You know, is it our carbon footprint, our water usage, electricity usage? And, and they're really... Uh, that's, they find that a very daunting task. How do you recommend that a company just beginning that first component of taking baseline data start? One thing a company can do is to just start with their electricity records and looking at where they're using energy throughout their processes, throughout their operations, and then to look at what they could do differently. And that's something that is at your fingertips. It's not overwhelming and mm-hmm. can and can give a very, you know, a kickstart to taking a more broader a broader look at sustainability. Mm-hmm. You know, for many years, it seemed like environmental activists were the most significant source of external pressure on companies to operate more sustainably. And then we started to see data on this emergence of what was called the LOHAS, or Lifestyle of Health and Sustainability Consumer. And now we're beginning to see the impact that actually shareholder demands um, are having on sustainability uh, practices for corporations. And I'd like for you to talk about that phenomenon and why sustainability is now something that even the shareholders are beginning to see as vital to a company's bottom line. Shareholders are motivated by a combination of the social, the environmental, and financial concerns. And they understand, maybe as well as any of us, 
that skyrocketing energy prices, resource scarcity, scarcity, more frequent natural disasters, political unrest, or any number of other issues that can come about because of climate change could make or break a company. Mm-hmm. So one fact that many of your listeners may be surprised to learn is that corporate leaders in sustainability actually outperform their competitors financially. Two recent studies are uh, the consulting company A.T. Kearney examined the performance during the 2008 downturn of 99 companies, and in 16 out of the 18 in- industries they studied, companies that were committed to sa- sustainability outperformed the industry averages by 15%. Wow. The University of Wisconsin was another great report that we had reviewed, and they found that a firm's value declines on average by $202,000 for every additional 1,000 metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions it produces. So what it's all about is it's good business. That's why shareholders are demanding. Well, and it's funny because there was a time when companies – were resistant to investments in sustainability as if it was sort of fluff or something that the advertising, greenwashing, you know, folks were interested in and companies were saying, look, our job is to make money for our shareholders and products, you know, that our, our customers will buy. Um, and I think this is a, a great turnaround on the part of, you know, that thinking that really um, shareholders who are well educated on these issues and want to see their, uh, their stocks go up are going to be intently interested in sustainability issues. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, much, much more on these top corporate sustainability trends to watch in 2012 with Patty Prairie, CEO of Brighter Planet. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Two views. Different topics. Questions. Answers. News. And advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could all join us if you're just tuning in. We're joined today by Patty Prairie. She's the CEO of an organization called Brighter Planet. And we are talking about some of the top uh, corporate sustainability trends to watch in 2012, things that will be changing, things that uh, are pretty exciting that her company has put out um, for the rest of us to sort of digest and watch our favorite companies and favorite, favorite brands uh, come up to speed on some of these issues. Patty, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, as more and more of the um, – stakeholders within the companies, you know, whether it's internal uh, employees, the shareholders, customers, and, and executive leadership in companies begin to coalesce around these issues of sustainability. How do you predict that these companies will express their greenness to the public in the coming months? Um, how do you expect the We Love Polar Bears sales pitch to evolve? You know, when I had joined Brighter Planet in 2006, polar bears symbolized the effect of global warming, and that was fine, but I think what's happened since then is there's much more of a realization that unchecked climate change is not just affecting polar bears in Alaska. It's affecting our communities, our home states, our children, and the planet that we leave for our children's children. The sales pitch, I believe, has already moved beyond the We Love Polar Bears and images of wind turbines. It's now focused on products and services that help consumers and businesses save money and reduce impact. You can see this in the work of a couple of companies like Nest and their great new thermostat or O-Power and its work with utilities engaging consumers around their energy use. That ends up saving the utilities millions of dollars. So the new business sustainability sales pitch is about making people's lives easier and their wallets thicker. Mm-hmm. We at Brighter Planet believe we're just on the cusp of this. We're paving the way with, for the big data revolution to shake up the environmental world, and that's going to mean an end to the sustainability superstitions and vague claims about going green. Ultimately, we think putting robust environmental data in the right place will both enable smarter decision-making and will create more confidence that what looks green is really in the end green. Do you think that some of that data will somehow be incorporated into advertisements or um, CSR reports that are more customer-facing rather than just shareholder reports? Definitely. I think, I mean, one example of a web app that we have, which is called CarePlane, what it helps you do is it, as you're making a choice on your flights, Mm -hmm. it tells you, 
not only then what the uh, travel search engines are telling about the price and the route and the seating options, but it also tells the greenhouse gas emissions. So it's right there, and it's in a fashion that the consumer can look at, just like you could look at uh, nutrition labeling on products. So I believe that 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 type of breakthrough will help people then, you know, make a decision, factor it in to uh, several variables that they're using on what products and services they're going to purchase. I think that's really exciting because that's really what's been lacking for consumers who who really do want to take that into account. Um, people who are uh, not necessarily able or willing to pay a premium for quote-unquote green products, but who would like to take that into account if they could compare apples and apples data with competing products and be able to say, well, all things, you know, being similar in terms of price and quality, this product uses less water or something like that. And, uh, and the, I, I think that consumers are really ready for that kind of data analysis, even if it's just a quick hit, you know, looking at a label or looking at an app. I think that's very exciting. And speaking of which, what influence do you think social media? You've talked about an app that you have. What, what influence do you think that social media is going to have on uh, corporate sustainability programs? Social media is enabling companies to communicate directly and in real time with their stakeholders and vice versa. It's not just with companies. It's with your representatives and and country revolutions that are going on. We had conducted at Brighter Planet a large survey a few months back on employee engagement and sustainability. And we were – our goal was to understand – how many companies had a program in place, how many were effective, and why. One of the most striking findings was that companies with a method for employees to share ideas via social media were more than six times likely to have a very effective program. That's huge. Activist organizations can reach millions in minutes with social media, bringing intense public pressure on corporations to change practices. Ten years ago, if an organization wanted to reach millions, it had to rely on mainstream media, very expensive ad campaigns and eye-popping stunts. Today, mm-hmm. all it takes is a viral video or an effective treat or a message that you you can make a difference with this. You know, just look at the SOPA um, yeah. pro- protest back in January, right? That's an example of the impact of social media with, um, in a matter of hours, the bills that would have uh, probably gone through, uh, we're dead on arrival because of coordinated action across a myriad of social media channels. Mm-hmm. And that kind of political action simply wouldn't have been possible even a few years ago. So social media is a sea change, not only in politics, but also in business. And I just think we're on the beginning of that sea change. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that um, we're only beginning to see the tip of the iceberg um, of of the power of that Notion, not just any particular platform, but the idea of taking it from just communication to activism. I think we're just beginning to see the possibilities there. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about this concept of indirect emission management for a little bit. And first of all, for our listeners who might not be familiar with that term, talk to us about what indirect emission management means to a company. What is it? The easiest way that I've found to understand and to convey what indirect emissions are is to first wrap your head around direct emissions. Direct emissions are generated by assets a company directly owns and controls. So that's energy used in its facilities and its vehicles. And this is also like in many (laughs) industries where there's certain terminologies that get generated. That's called scope one. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Indirect emissions, which is the rest of a company's footprint, is from activities owned by somebody else. So that can be electricity, the extraction and production of purchased materials and fuels, business travel, even emissions associated with customers using your products. Now, that's scope two is those emissions that are purchased electricity. Scope three are those that are the production of purchased products, transportation of purchased products, or use of sold products. So you can see one is what you own, two is what you're purchasing electricity, and three is somehow an upstream or downstream part of what the business that you're in. But all of a company's indirect emissions are somebody else's direct emissions. Somebody, A company can still materially reduce those indirect emissions by doing things like instituting supplier standards, by choosing to buy goods and services with lower footprints, or by producing greener customer products. And one of the interesting facts here is that, and it makes sense when you think about it, the vast majorities of a company's indirect, uh, vast majorities of companies who their indirect emissions outweigh the direct emissions. Sure. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. If you look at, you know, any kind of manufacturing or, uh, you know, company that has to have a myriad of suppliers and they're purchasing parts and pieces that they'll later put together for some other, uh, maybe customer, you know, product, what have you. Um, they could have thousands of suppliers, each with their own carbon exactly. footprint. That exactly. makes perfect sense. Well, do you feel like there's currently enough training and software and resources and those types of things for today's supply chain managers to take control of the emissions management of their suppliers, or is there more needed along those lines to help them do that job? There's not really enough training or software to uh, do the job well. And as you can imagine, in a global economy, supply chains are extremely complex. There's dozens of businesses, as you pointed out, and hundreds of material inputs that can be involved in the creation and distribution of a single product. Mm -hmm. Currently, most supply chain managers' jobs are to assure low cost, efficiency, and quality. They have long-standing relationships with suppliers and are not necessarily looking to rock that boat, mm-hmm. whereas a directive from higher-ups can help then to get suppliers to go green. And Brighter Planet and others are trying to push the envelope on this issue because of the magnitude of the emissions involved and what uh, effect could be t- on companies' bottom lines. Standards can help. The World Resources Institute, which is the de facto authority on corporate sustainability reporting standards, Mm -hmm. recently released its first new corporate standard in years, and it details guidelines for Scope 3 supply chain carbon reporting. Software can also help. Quality data points can help. More education. But to be clear, anyone that says that greening a company's supply chain is easy or can be achieved simply through mandates just hasn't fully thought through the complexities. Oh, heavens no, because, I mean, you're not just talking about – you know, going down to the industrial park in your local community and, and working through these issues, uh, all in the same location. I mean, a lot of companies have suppliers all over the world, um, and many of their suppliers have suppliers. I mean, if you think about right. even something as simple as a grocery store, for every product on the shelf, and there are thousands, there might be dozens of suppliers involved in the packaging and the production of of that package of cookies, you know, for instance. I mean, there might be quite a few suppliers just with that one product. So it's an intensely um, complicated scenario. For companies that are a little bit smaller, 
do you see a little bit more reticence uh, on their part to engage their suppliers? I know that my husband is actually a global supply chain manager and, and for those single source suppliers, you know, that one supplier in the whole world who can make that part or piece for you, rocking the boat, as you mentioned, can be, um, a little bit scary, a little bit, um, you know, sh- you know, uh, risky to, to put it lightly that that single source supplier you know, might not uh, come on board with your objectives. Well, in some cases, the single source supplier can also mean that you've got a, you know, a tight relationship. And so it could be a very natural outgrowth because of the closeness of the relationship and the trust that's involved to share data to calculate emissions impact and then to jointly develop an improvement plan that can save energy and cut costs and reduce emissions. In that type of scenario, it can be a win-win. Or if a company, say, in consumer goods wants to distinguish itself as an environmental leader, such as Stonyfield Farms or Seventh mm-hmm. Generation decided to do more than a decade ago, sustainability can become one of the differentiators that they have for their brand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's very heartening to me to see companies like IBM and Procter & Gamble and Walmart beginning to mandate greener supply chains. They have the market sway that small companies like you were referring to your husband working with don't have necessarily. Mm-hmm. And they can move, these large companies can move the sustainability needle. They can educate people and their suppliers will be motivated to jump through hoops if that means that they get to keep the business of, of those large companies. Agreed. I mean, there, there's a ton of, of power um, with those large corporations and their influence. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we've got much, much more on some of the 2012 top corporate sustainability trends to watch for. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I want to give a big shout out to all my tweeps out there who are following us on Twitter, um, submitting some great questions and some thoughts to share on this episode. And you guys do it every week when you listen to Go Green Radio, and I'm very grateful. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, our listeners out there that are not already, you can find me at at Jill Buck. You can also join our conversation on our Facebook page, which is called our Go Green Face Space. If you go to my organization's website at www.gogreeninitiative.org, you'll find the button there to join us on Facebook. We've got folks from 71 countries now joining in our conversations. Thank goodness for Google Translate so we can all talk to each other. But we are having awesome conversations every day in our Go Green Face space. So thank you all for joining us. Um, today, our guest, if you're just tuning in, is Patty Prairie. She's the CEO of an organization called Brighter Planet. And we're talking about some of their predictions for the top corporate sustainability trends to watch for in 2012. You know, Patty, one of the trends that your organization has identified as one to watch in corporate sustainability programs is the proliferation of employee engagement. And according to your recent study called Green the Workplace 2011, companies with a method for employees to share ideas on sustainability were six times more likely to have very effective programs. And I'm wondering is if this is true because everyday employees just simply have better ideas than top-level management, or if there's just some other reason that giving employees input um, and, and input opportunities spurs success and sustainability. What is it about that function or that method of engagement that spurs the sustainability success of a company? One of the things that we found in our survey was that the effectiveness of a program uh, in sustainability, was whether it was driven from the top down or from the bottom up, was equally effective. And I can think of, as I'm sure you can too, successful examples of both. So on the one side, you would have Interface, the carpet company, which was led by its late CEO, Ray Anderson, and they had established a program called Mission Zero, which was a promise to eliminate any negative impacts they had on the environment by 2020. On the other side of the coin, you have eBay. Its green team, which would be a bottoms-up one, started in 2007 as a team of 40 employees, and it's now grown to over 2,500 employees in 25 countries. Their achievements include the launch of a reusable box program to make shipping easier and greener and helping to fight e-waste by making it easier to reuse and recycle electronics, working to lighten eBay's own ecological footprint with their Campus Zero Waste program and their LEED certified data centers. That said, in my view, employees are unquestionably essential to a successful corporate sustainability program. They're on the front lines. They're in the back rooms. They know their customers. They know who they deal with, and they have a hands-on knowledge of their part of the company's operations, what works well and what can be better. And so um, I would strongly encourage any company to leverage that resource that's right there in their employees. We have more details on the study that you referred to that we did at Brighter Planet uh, on our website at brighterplanet.com. 
you know, one of the things that I think some top-level managers or executives fear when when we talk about employee engagement is sort of a deluge of emails. Here's what I think, and here's what I think, and guess what I want to do. And, like, not having the tools to manage that input, What? how can you allay those types of fears that it becomes sort of a just floodgate of, you know, thoughts, (laughs) streams of consciousness. (laughs) Well, one of the things is if you have a team of, you know, people that are in a a virtual room or a physical room and they're comparing notes with each other and coming up with ideas, I mean, that's the classic definition of brainstorming, right? Mm -hmm. So what can come out of that? And so is where, you know, ask for a proposal uh, from if emails are flooding the executive's inbox, Mm-hmm. And, um, and have them come back with something, uh, well thought out. And so it's almost like you're turning it around and saying, okay, you know, maybe a good idea, you know, tell me, uh, how it would work and what difference it would make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can see some, some real value in being able to put together some sort of, um, tool, you know, to, to, Gather that data, give executives some sort of dashboard um, to manage that kind of input and make employees feel like they had a reasonable shot of actually um, seeing their ideas come to fruition. I'm wondering if engaging employees in the way that you suggest impacts a company's sustainability budget. I mean, is it costly to do this? I mean, obviously, it doesn't cost a thing to let employees email away everything from I want to use less paper in the, you know, cafeteria to we should recycle yogurt cups. That doesn't cost anything. But to really meaningfully engage employees in sustainability programs, is there a budget line item that that corresponds to a successful employee engagement program? Well, it can be everything from the, if you will, more ad hoc of the people meeting in a virtual or a physical room to a dashboard the way you talked about. And there can be some cost associated with it, but I'd argue that the value far outstrips the cost. Mm-hmm. And there's this myth that environmental progress means added business cost. Many companies get their start on sustainability from employees who invest their own time into raising awareness and reducing impact. And What's going to be more effective in embedding sustainability into the DNA of an organization? Is it that a team from a sustainability division, or is it motivated and engaged employees across your organizational structure implementing a program? I'd go with the engaged employees. One of the interesting parts here is this can also have value far beyond the workplace. That's also good for the workplace. Walmart's a a particularly interesting example. A few years back, they launched something they called the Personal Sustainability Project Program, and associates chose to adopt habits that positively impact the environment, their communities, and their own personal health and well-being. That could be recycling, eating healthier, or getting outdoors more. And since the program began, nearly 20,000 associates have quit smoking. (laughs) Together, they've recycled 3 million pounds of plastic, and as a group, they have lost more than 184,000 pounds. Wow. And, you know, and so if you think about it, we're getting employees together and having it from a sustainability can also have huge second-order effects. Absolutely. You know, another aspect of employee engagement is a little bit generational. And I'm not sure if high unemployment rates among young people has kind of quelled this, but there was a point, and again, this was kind of before the recession, 
there was a point at which some companies were worried that they would have a hard time attracting and retaining Generation Y workers if the company failed to live up to that generation's value system, particularly surrounding environmental issues. Does your research show that that's still a concern? Do you expect companies to engage employees in sustainability initiatives as part of their workforce retention plans, or is that kind of been undercut by, I just need a job anywhere that I can, you know, I can find one as a young person, and if they're sustainable, great. If not, oh well. Um, what are you finding there in I terms can, of uh, retention? I can speak to that, Jill, on both the personal level and uh-huh. on the broader, if you will, national level. Mm-hmm. The From a personal level, um, I've worked with a team of Gen Wires now for over five years, and I can tell you, uh, they're, I mean, they're doing route optimization based upon what the, you know, what the emissions are. And, you know, my generation is more based upon what the time or the costs were. So right. what it means is that sustainability is a core part of their value system. Now, looking at the bigger picture, the importance of environmental sustainability to attracting and retaining employees also holds true. There was a recent survey by MonsterTrack.com, which is a job posting site for young professionals. It found that 92% of Generation Y is more likely to work for an environmental-friendly company, and 80% are interested in landing a job that allows them to have a positive impact on the environment. There was another survey by a company called ADECO, that showed that Gen Y workers would actually sacrifice 6.2% of their salary to work for a green company. And on the reverse side of this, Gallup had found uh, in one of their polls that they recently did that actively disengaged employees erode an organization's bottom line while breaking the spirits of colleagues in the process. And they had a cost figure that they had come up with that, which was a $300, $300 billion in lost productivity. But, again, coming back to it is... If somebody, you know, people will, the Generation Y, I believe, will put their, their resume in where, where the environmental uh, aspects are. So they will vote with their, vote with their values, if you will. Mm-hmm. As long as that's an option. I mean, um, you know, you're working with employed Generation Y folks, and I'm just wondering how picky unemployed Generation Y uh, folks are. I guess time will tell. Time will tell. Yep. You know, another one of the corporate sustainability trends that your organization has identified for 2012 is water impact. And you noted that um, Ceres and Carbon Disclosure Project had both independently expanded their carbon emissions platforms to include water impacts. And I'm wondering why you think they did that. We're hearing more and more people talk about water as the next carbon or the next oil. The climate science is pretty clear on this. Water is going to be one of the most poignant effects of climate change. It's too little water, it's too much water, it's too polluted water. And globally, climate change will increase the number of both droughts and floods and melting the glaciers and snowfields that feed some of the world's most important rivers. Large multinational companies face significant liability in a world where clean water is scarce and where pollution and wastewater are increasingly regulated. They also, in some cases, are significant contributors to water problems, and they have the assets, whether that's people, whether that's the intellectual capital, um, whether that's money, to spearhead local and global solutions. So Ceres and Carbon Disclosure Project, have they see that storm on the horizon, and they have an incredible 
track record of working with large companies on the causes of climate change. So it's a very natural expansion for them to work on the effects of climate change, such as developing tools to help companies work with water issues. Well, you know, one of the things that I've been studying recently is the nexus between water and energy and how much energy it takes to deliver clean water and vice versa, how much clean water it takes to produce energy in most of the energy forms that we use on a utility scale. And so the more water you use, arguably the more carbon emissions you produce because most of the energy or electricity that's used to pump that clean water to you comes from carbon emitting um, energy sources. So it's a very interesting nexus between water and energy that we're seeing. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, much more with Patty Pierce, CEO of Brighter Planet. So don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and is the co-founder of BR Public Relations, who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to The Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we're talking about the top trends in corporate sustainability programs that we should be looking for in 2012, according to an organization that I'm really excited about called Brighter Planet. We've got the CEO, Patty Prairie, on with us today. Patty, are there indications that you're seeing that companies are beginning to make adaptation plans for the impacts of climate change, and what are some of those indications? 
starting to happen, but it's probably not happening as quickly as it needs to. The industries you think that would be most ahead of the curve on looking at climate risk would be like insurance. But a recent study by Ceres said found that only one in ten insurers even has a policy on climate change, and those uh, that do focus on a pretty narrow range. Beyond insurance, we are seeing more large companies beginning to take a serious look. PricewaterhouseCoopers just did a study that found that 84% of executives think climate change will change the way they do business in the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. Most companies, though, are still in the early stages. Some of the areas where they're picking away at it, though, would be on green vehicles and renewable energy installations. As you might imagine, that's driven by rising gas prices and carbon regulations. Mm-hmm. Some others are working on water usage mm-hmm. and improving their efficiency in anticipation of major shortages. And uh, the U.S. military, interestingly enough, has been on the forefront of climate risk assessment and adaptation. But as far as robust, comprehensive plans in place in the corporate world, nobody's really gotten there yet. Yet, at mm-hmm. least, now they're not talking publicly about it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's still so political that that could be part of it. Now, Brighter Planet expects to see a great demand for data analysis to guide companies along their path to more sustainable operations. Talk about the kind of software and data services that you expect companies to need in the coming months and coming years. We're seeing an explosion of building, monitoring, and visualization software that helps to convey impact and engage occupants. We are also seeing a deployment of smart meters and software to manage all the additional real-time data. And we expect to see uh, sustainability applications that harness big data by integrating with existing business systems. That's our particular sweet spot at Brighter Planet. And we're seeing corporations that have huge treasure troves of data that are interested in mining that data to serve up sustainability intelligence. And that's intelligence that can help their clients and employees make more informed choices. One of the most exciting effects of this uh, great demand for data is when you open up the data, you empower your customers. And so with them, you jointly get, you know, make improvements on environmental action up and down the value chain. I think we'll be surprised about this, some of the innovations that will happen in the near future here. Well, it is, it's exciting and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out because, you know, I mean, you see companies, for instance, like oil and gas companies, they know where oil and gas reserves are and they know about how long they expect them to last, you know, in terms of years that they can drill and, you know, they have maps of the world that show where their supply of product comes from. And, you know, for a lot of companies, uh, they have suppliers all over the world, but, you know, there's no map that they can look at to say, oh gosh, there's a drought in this part of China and we have suppliers that are water intensive uh, making this part for us, how does that impact? I think after the earthquake in, and in, in Japan, and there was so much supply chain impact to that, a lot of companies began to think about some of those things more readily in terms of natural disasters. But in looking at the impacts of climate change on water supply, potential energy supply, um, I think creating those kinds of uh, dashboards and data analysis for companies to say, hmm, is this the smartest supply chain you know, grouping and, and distribution that we could have based on what we can reasonably expect, um, you know, there to be in terms of water and energy and to, to fuel our business model and our business operations. I think that's exciting data that, uh, I look forward to seeing how you, how you roll that out. 
In your opinion, Patty, how much of this trend of corporate sustainability, just in general, is being driven by government regulation, and how much is being driven by just purely free market business solutions? When we started Brighter Planet over five years ago, the broad consensus, which we shared, was that government regulation was simply an administration away. And many businesses reacted then by trying to be pre-compliant, helping to establish demand. But as it became increasingly clear, at least here in the U.S., broad greenhouse gas regulation is not around the corner. Other demand factors fortunately kicked in, such as global competitiveness and risk management. These free markets business solutions, in my opinion, are not alone a sufficient force to drive the extent of the change we need. But in lieu of government action, they are promising paradigm shifters. Mm-hmm. That said, we're not operating in a purely free market system. We have government subsidizing renewable energy development and energy efficiency efforts, but they're not, in our view, sufficient or efficient. And the elephant in the room is that we continue to subsidize 19th century energy sources, such as oil and coal, and undermining the sustainability market further. I don't know if you noticed, but President Obama yesterday said in New Hampshire, you can't keep, you can keep subsidizing a fossil fuel that's been getting taxpayer dollars for a century, or you can place your bets on a clean energy future. We're betting on a clean energy future. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, there's another aspect to all of this. I mean, yes, there is the energy source and supply, but there's also the infrastructure to deliver it. You know, in many areas of the world, it's not as much a resource depletion or, or you know, lack of water or energy, but it's rather a distribution problem. And the United States used to have the gold standard in electricity transmission infrastructure and and water distribution infrastructure. And we haven't invested in either of those two things the way that we should have. And now, you know, you hear people talking about the smart grid and what have you, but um you know, that's going to take a lot of investment as well. So it's not even just that we need new energy sources or uh, cleaner water, but even just getting the the solar power from point A to point B is going to be a challenge. And that infrastructure piece, um, you know, has to be part of the equation, I think. Are, are you guys seeing, you know, any corporate involvement in pushing for more infrastructure investment? Definitely. You see it across the board where uh, your point is very well taken about it's not just the source of the energy, but it's also getting it to where you need it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, from your perspective, Patty, and, and kind of speaking to our listeners as consumers, how are everyday people going to be able to tell which companies are really doing their homework, investing in this data analysis that you're helping them to, to take a look at, to operate sustainably, and which ones are still just investing in huge green marketing campaigns? How will we know? Third parties can be a godsend in this case for everyday people to tell what's real and what's not. You can look for things like Energy Star labeling. My refrigerator is just in its last legs. One of the first <laughs> things I'm doing is looking at the Energy Star ratings associated with a replacement for it. You can also look for the use of organic materials on products that you're buying. The company Good Guide has a mobile app that allows you to check a company's practices prior to buying their goods by scanning a product's barcode. That's Pretty cool if you haven't seen that. Oh, that's huge. No, I haven't seen that. There's also, uh, if you're an investor, there are mutual funds that invest in companies with a better track record on sustainability. So using third parties like this can make a huge difference to knowing which ones are real and which ones aren't. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, that bringing it back to a point about the nutritional information that we talked about a little bit ago, mm-hmm. nutritional information, product production location, and organic designation are widely available to consumers. So why shouldn't the same be true for carbon and energy use? I think we're in a period right now where people are really beginning to see the growing need for high-tech environmental management on all levels of a company's operations, whether that's Mm -hmm. the facilities and the fleets, supply chain, consumers, employees. But the information and software to deliver it is still far from mature. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's where we're looking to companies like yours, Brighter Planet, to help show us the way. And I really appreciate and applaud the work that you're doing. And I'm so glad that you could join us today on Go Green Radio. Patty, thanks for being with us. And thanks to our listeners for listening in. We're going to be here same time, same place next week. Uh, Until then, have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.